Webber is the chief investment officer at Teji Mandi. Uh, he comes with a decade of experience in stock picking and generating index beating returns. Um, he is the he's grown up uh, under the guidance of uh, ace investor Mr. Ramdev Agarwal, and uh, his style of investing involves a. Uh, co- combining a portfolio of tactical bets with long-term winners to generate optimum returns. Weber holds a Bachelor in Computer Science from the University of Pennsylvania and an MBA from London Business School. Uh, the team um, at, at uh, Teji Mandi uh, believes in empowering investors with advisory and education uh, in order to achieve their financial dreams. And um, the they are currently available both on their own app and the small case platform. So with that, let me welcome Weber. Weber, we're very pleased to have you. Uh, thank you so much, Krishna. Pleasure to be on today's Twitter Spaces. And uh, al- along along with me, uh, Sahir will also be uh, co-moderating this session. Um, and uh, the, the Weber, focus... lovely, lovely to have you here. It's an honor. Oh yeah, thanks, Sahir. Uh, Honored to be talking to you as well. Okay, so uh, bef- before we get into the topic, which is today's, uh, which is small and mid cap investing, uh, Weber, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of, uh, you know, when was it that you actually uh, made your first investment, and uh, and what were the initial years of investing like? You had the you had the mentorship of Mr. Ramdev Agarwal, but I'm sure you still made a few mistakes of your own, and you had a few insights and learnings along the way. Yeah. So um, thanks for that question. Uh, so I sort of started investing uh, around 2007 or 8, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, and at that point, I was actually uh, sort of doing my uh, internship uh, in in sort of research, um, one of the research houses. So at that point, uh, you know, I invested in Nestle. Um, and at that point, Nestle sort of uh, was not as richly valued as it's today. So it had done well at that time. Um, so what happened was uh, I invested in Nestle and Groove Finance. Uh, Groove Finance is um, now, uh, you know, it's it, it's a part of Bandhan Bank. But back then, uh, it was a up-and-coming housing finance company promoted by HDFC. So these are the first two investments. I think they did reasonably well. Um, I think one of the mistakes I made is I sold uh, Nestle and uh, Groove Finance early on. Um, and I invested uh, in another company which was sort of not not so great. I, I think a lot of people here wouldn't even recognize the name today. But that company had sort of sold their operating business and uh, all of that. So, so I thought that, you know, the, the company has cash of, I think, five or 6,000 crores and the market cap was only 1,200 crores. So in that mistake, I sort of invested in it and that sort of went nowhere. So I think that was uh, one of the mistakes I made that, you know, when, when you have great businesses uh, and you bought them at reasonable valuations, you should stick to them. Yeah. That, that's already a fascinating insight for our listeners to, to take away that cash on the balance sheet is is not as important as the current operations of the business. Um, so uh, I want to also step back a little bit and and ask you for um, a more sort of broader uh, perspective 
on do you think that um, mid cap and small cap stocks have their own business cycle which is distinct from that of the large cap companies see i don't think small and mid caps uh, you know are, are are aliens to the economic system i mean they are very much a part of it but what happens is that for small and mid caps the the effect of the cycle is more accentuated than it is for large caps you know large caps uh, by their nature being larger are more stable and more sturdy uh so so in an up cycle and down cycle they they tend to remain you know more uh, more neutral uh you know small and mid cap you know if it's in a down cycle it gets hit harder and if if it's in an up cycle then sort of the swing is also much larger so uh, i think that's how i look at it um so webhof so often in small caps and even mid caps to some extent uh to grow companies use internal accruals of course but they have to raise significant debt and even dilute equity in a lot of instances so how do you look at this uh, scenario when where companies raise a lot of debt and dilute equity in these small and mid caps which might not be prevalent in large caps i don't think that that's necessarily true that uh, that large caps don't dilute money i mean you must have seen like a lot of banks for example large banks raised a lot of money last year Yep, yep. Yeah, in fact, large caps have uh, you know much. Uh, they have greater access to capital and the money markets. Uh, but in small caps, uh, I think if they are raising debt now, you know, I I don't think you can say that one one decision is good or bad. You have to look at the context of it. So you know, if a company is raising capital uh, to grow or it's uh, raising debt to sort of uh, you know in 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 sort of future capex for future growth, then I think. Uh, in the context of that uh, it could be positive uh, but but if they're doing it for other purposes then maybe you would have to sort of look at it uh, with a finer eye keeping with this theme of uh, of debt um especially in the uh, mid and small cap space do you see more value uh, since we are still you know earlyish in the in the cycle uh and the structural bull market should continue for the next 3 to 4 years do you see more value in debt heavy companies that are deleveraging or do you still want the 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 companies with a debt free balance sheet even if margins don't have a lot of scope for expansion uh so i think uh, yeah i mean i think you're right the the cycle so so india so i mean i think coming to the cycle i think it's important to understand that like the last decade for india was sort of a lost decade Uh, as far as corporate earnings were concerned um, and you know there were several things like the like demonetization rera um, and even um, and even like the uh, iron fs crisis because of which uh, you know the entire economic system was hit so i think india is coming out of three large sort of uh, down cycles in real estate corporate earnings uh, and uh, the you know the nps of banks so so now that we're entering into a you know three you know like a structural up cycle in three of these uh, you know important sort of areas uh, i think uh, small and mid caps will sort of uh, do very well uh, in that and in some cases like you know because interest rates are sort of accommodative right now so if companies raise some debt for future expansion i mean i think uh, that could be you know creative for them from an roi perspective but uh, and growth perspective but we have to see that sort of in context uh, so i think it it depends from company to company can't sort of give a one size fits all answer for uh, everyone 
thanks for that in-depth answer, Vaibhav. So I have a question uh, related to small caps specifically. So how how small do you look at for like small caps? Is there a, a minimum size? Because a lot of institutions they don't go be uh, they don't go beneath a certain market cap. Do you have a criteria? Do you have a minimum uh, market cap or or a minimum size? Or are you agnostic to that? So I think uh, I mean, we 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 do look at I mean the the free float and the liquidity available, um, and specifically for small caps, I think we rarely. I mean, in in very certain in, in only in certain cases we might go below two thousand crores of market cap, uh, but but otherwise largely uh, we play in like we're more comfortable in like the four to five thousand crores of range, um, and all the way it goes to thirty forty thousand crores. So so I think your free float and promoter holding also plays an important component, because if um, I mean let's say you're attracted to a small cap mid cap stock and if it doesn't have Enough free float liquidity, then uh, you could be stuck on the wrong side. So it becomes important to see that as well. Yep, yep, agreed. Krishna, do you want to go next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inter- interesting point about the about the free float because it's it's only something that you really need to think about when when um, you're looking at companies under five thousand crores, but. Um, let let me ask you about two other metrics uh, when it comes to picking small and mid cap uh, so you spoke you spoke a little bit about how it depends when it comes to the amount of debt uh, that those companies are carrying um, h- how much debt are you comfortable with in terms of the debt debt to equity ratio um, and uh, sort of con- in conjunction with that even uh, although not not directly similar um when you're valuing uh, you know small and mid cap companies how do you look at the peg metric uh, do you find that it's useful because there seems to be a lot of debate around whether it's useful as a metric or not uh so i think uh, i think I'll, I'll answer the peg question first so so i think see peg is a it's more of a heuristic metric uh, which means that it's more of a guiding tool it is not a it is not an absolute sort of tool by itself right so uh, you cannot select a stock just because it is below one peg or half peg or whatever it is i mean it's just a sort of a useful rule of thumb sort of this thing just to give you some sense of uh, what the valuation looks like but but obviously it's a very it's a very simplistic metric to sort of just buy a company on uh, so i think if you use it as a rule of thumb then it's fine but uh, obviously by no means that can be your Final metric to buy a stock, uh, and I'm quite. Uh, and what was the second question? Sorry, I think I missed the, that. The one. second question was around the debt to equity ratio. How? Yeah, de- I, I yeah. So, so most companies for us are below uh, one. Uh, in some cases, even below point five. I think in rare situations where you know a company sort of coming out of a, I mean, if it's if it's sort of in an upcycle and it's coming out of a, you know, bad patch and going into a. Purple patch. Then at that point, maybe you know, like a high debt company going to low debt company can also be a reasonably good value creator. So, just uh, even that context. Cool. Sire, you want to go next? Yeah, got it, got it. Um, so how do you so moving from debt? How do you look at cash flows, free cash flows in these uh, small to mid caps? and also how do you view working capital is it different from is it different from industry to industry um is it different according to the size of the organization how do you 
basically view cash flows and uh, yeah also working capital so i think uh, cash flows uh, specifically i think in india because uh, i mean companies are growing quite aggressively i think you don't see uh, free cash flow sort of very often uh, i think recently if you had seen like the steel companies had had gone into a free cash flow status after almost i think 6 or 7 years i think it was it was a pretty long period so i think free cash flow uh, at least in a country like india might suggest that maybe the company's uh, growth is sort of behind it so uh, i think that's how i would view free cash flow purely but but if the operating cash flow is strong because the operating cash flow and the earnings sort of have to have some sort of reconciliation so uh, but but i think earnings also often uh, is is sort of a good indicator i mean you obviously have to be careful because you know in small caps and mid cap sometimes promoters tend i mean the the financials can be sort of uh, you know you have to look at it a little more deeply to to make sure that there's no sort of uh, you know uh, manipulation or jugglery but uh, i think by and large if you stick to the main sort of good frontline reputed sort of companies then i think that sort of issue is taken care of so i think earnings growth becomes important um and i think your second question was around uh, working capital yeah working capital yeah. obviously differs from industry to industry so if you take uh, capital markets so like some of the broking companies like angel broking or icsi securities uh i mean they don't need capital to do business they're pure free cash flow machines whereas uh, if you go into a sector like uh, maybe cement you know their uh, rois are only maybe 15% or below so you need to keep doing capex to keep sort of growing so uh, i mean obviously working capital requirements then sort of keep changing from industry to industry and 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 even the receivable cycle so if, for example if some companies are dealing with the government receivable cycles tend to be quite lumpy and long so uh, i think that's how it kind of changes makes sense um if, before we continue i just want to remind um, the audience that uh, at at a later stage we will be moving into q and a and um, if you are a regular here then then you can request from now only to um, uh, to speak uh, and if you are somebody who's new, new then please either dm sahir or me your questions the ones who message us first will get preference uh, in the q&a order so uh, uh web you spoke a bit about you know earnings growth you spoke a bit about debt uh, so just to bring the whole thing you know uh, together um what would you say debt earnings growth what would be the other two or three things that are most important when you look at valuation for for small and mid caps So I think uh, specifically for valuations, one you have to see what is the return on equity and the dividend payout, uh, because that sort of determines the that's a determinant one of the determinants of the P ratio. And second is I think in terms of um, um, I think in terms of relevant sort of you, like you have to see like what percentile of it sort of uh, P ratio it's in. So is it in the in the bottom quartile, top quartile? um or or what so so that way i think it sort of uh, because because i'll sort of indicate that compared to its own sort of valuation history where does the company stand so i think yeah, this could be two useful metrics for people can you just clarify a little bit about what did you mean by the quartiles so supposing like you know every company has a trading band right for the for the p ratio so it could be that uh, at one point it traded at say 20x 
earnings or it traded at say 50x earnings and right now say it's at 40 times earnings so so you can get a history of the company's p like the p chart just like if the price chart you also have the p chart and then you can figure out that at what point of its history like if if it traded say the minimum is 20 and the maximum is 50 so so at what point i mean at what percentile of that it's in so in that sort of gives you a good sense <clears throat> cool so basically relative to its historical uh, valuation yeah 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 sir you you had a question oh uh, no so yeah i just i just wanted to know so so do you mean like you look at median pe in some sense and you look at mean reversion is that uh, with respect to pe is that a good way to look at it I, I yeah, just no, no. So, some clarity no, no. on yeah. Yeah, no, no. So this could so so let's say that the company so so the median would be like the fiftieth percentile, right? So so what it means is that the current P could be either above it or below it. So so median P is like just the historical sort of average or median. Uh, but but what you have to look at it is that like at what point uh, is it in? So so like fiftieth when 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 you say percentiles, it means like. You're dividing it into four chunks of twenty-five, twenty-five each, right? Median is like the the middle layer. So, is it in the, is it above it or is it below it? Is it close to the minimum that it's ever traded at or is it close to the highest it's ever traded at? So, I think that's what I meant to say. Got it, got it. So, so how would you look at this conundrum with like a lot of companies trading um, at obscene valuations, like way above median PE? PE just just picking PE as the basic metric, but like way above it. Uh, but they they seem to have a long runway for growth despite trading at those obscene uh, valuations. So how do you view this conundrum? Like, at what point does it get does it become too obscenely valued, and at what point is it like at for how long can you ride it? Like, how long can you ride the overvaluation? And at what point do you stop? Like, hey, this is way too overvalued. No, so, so see, valuation also. I think, like, to call something overvalued, I think, uh, I mean, again, it's a it's a relative term. So, so if you look at sort of the mid cap and like mid cap small cap index, it's only ten to fifteen percent higher than what it was uh, from the two thousand and eighteen peak, right? And and uh, India had sort of corporate earnings growth of only three four percent in the last whatever seven eight years. So next. I think next, at least four five years, estimated is about fifteen percent. Next two three years is going to be even higher than that. And if that happens, then uh, I mean, I'm talking about Nifty EPS growth. So if Nifty EPS growth is like fifteen to twenty percent, small cap, mid cap EPS growth is much much higher than that, right? So uh, in that sense, uh, it could be the case that if you if you look at something, say from a three to five year horizon, then maybe it might optically be looking high right now. Uh, also, because you know earnings have been very sort of choppy because a lot of things have gotten disrupted in the last sort of couple of years. Um, but uh, you know, so, so you have to look at it in the context of that. So, so I mean, I think that it could be the case that you know something that's like looking optically high could, in fact, uh, you know, have strong sort of earnings growth potential and strong even capital appreciation perspective. Uh, but, uh, but. Again, operating on the edge always comes with its own risks. That's why you should have some margin of safety. So, ideally, if the company is trading at say 
as i said like the 60th or the 70th percentile not at the 99th percentile so if it's like say at least a few notches below the peak then i think at least you have some sort of margin of safety interesting this this concept around margin of safety is is quite interesting um and just trying to apply that that lens that you just spoke about in terms of earnings growth like uh, if we took that and we applied that to the electronics contract manufacturing sector which right now is probably seeming like at eye popping valuations but then the kind of earnings growth that this segment is going to see over the next 18 to 24 months visible is is quite uh, is quite high as well so how would you apply would you say that that sector has uh, has any margin of safety or or is completely eroded because um, everything is sort of baked into the price uh you mean like uh, for co- like when you say electronics contract manufacturing are you referring to companies like dixon and amber yeah absolutely yeah so um, yeah i mean i think um, like like if you take uh, both those companies like if you take for example dixon um i mean like like basically that's an industry that is sort of going through a a zero to one sort of a phase right i mean india has never been a hub for electronics manufacturing but now because of the government impetus and uh, all of that and a lot of companies also looking at sort of you know diversifying their manufacturing base outside of china uh, so so i mean like for a player like uh, dixon i mean the opportunities could be uh, quite meaningful in the in the times to come so uh, at that point i think maybe pe may not be uh, the right metric so, so if you look at the pe of dixon i think it's like close to 166 or something uh, and uh, and even amber is at some funny number but but also i think for a lot of these companies the earnings have also gotten disrupted because of you know covid issue so i think uh, you have to look at the opportunity size uh, you know in 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 context of them and then sort of see where the valuation or market cap stands at makes sense um so you, you this zero to one moment is is quite interesting right um when you apply that zero to one framework in terms of a sector like textile uh, where would you see where would you say we we are uh, because we're not at zero and we're not at one uh i mean textiles i think you know uh, again like there are many different parts of the textile value chain so uh, i think recently like one textile company that did very well was uh, trident right um, and and they are big on the home textile space and and so is uh, so so i mean i think like like something like you know uh, home textiles for example is an interesting sort of segment of uh, you know of the textile industry then you have like branded undergarments uh, which also i mean there are two or three interesting players there uh, and then you have like some of the yarn manufacturers so uh, i think you know textiles in general has been a very cyclical industry i mean historically india has been i mean india is probably one of the largest sort of manufacturers and exporters and even employers of people in the textile space but i think uh, you have to find companies that sort of have good return on equity good capital allocation so i think that you will find those companies mostly in these sort of pockets of it so uh, i think that's where i would look at uh, i mean to, so that's it so i think the textile industry is at a good deal of maturity i mean maybe the exports could increase but yeah i mean it's somewhere between 0 to 1 so 
So wherever we are talking about the zero to one framework, um, a similar question along a similar path is: uh, What are your favorite mental models? Uh, do you have any mental models that you follow rigorously or that you use in your stock picking? I mean, so I think uh, one of the ones I think we had sort of uh, addressed uh, earlier, which was margin of safety. Uh, so I think like that is a so if you have margin of safety and I think if you like look at the power of compounding, um, I think you know like one is like you you sort of uh, you have an intellectual sort of an understanding of it. That's one, but but when you like really go through it experientially um, and then you understand it at that level and you can actually practice it because. In these understanding, the concept is I think like ten percent, but ninety percent is actually applying it. Uh, so, so if you're able to do that, I think more or less, I mean, I think you should be uh, you should do reasonably well in the capital markets. Uh, got it. And a similar and a question because you mentioned uh, you mentioned the that the textile sector is uh, a cyclical sector. Do you play any other uh, cyclical sectors? Are you uh, do you invest in any other cyclical sectors? So, I mean, again, whether like shallow, the, shallow cyclicals or or deep cyclicals, whichever, any of the sort. I mean, see, I think uh, at one level, every industry goes through different cycles. But I mean, if if you have to take, I think right now, for example, like it's it's again hard to give that you know so so to 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 generically say that you know this is the sector. But I think more specifically, I think you know, given that India is sort of coming out of a you know, like a sort of a down cycle and going into sort of a structural up cycle. Uh, you know, like some companies, especially like in the in the housing or 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 in the infrastructure space. Uh, you know, or or even like com- like industries which are ancillary to these two sectors. So there are some sort of interesting opportunities there. Got it. Got it. Krishna, do you want to go next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you spoke about um, you know uh, cyclicals and and uh, how you know it's each business has its uh, has its uh, business cycle. Um, so, relating to that, uh, where would you say we are in terms of infrastructure? Because it's not it's not a it's not a business that uh, that a lot of people who've come into the markets in the last year or two have either heard any narrative about or have in any way participated in no i think the the narrative for infrastructure has been there right and the government had sort of uh, announced a national infrastructure pipeline uh, i think uh, which was almost 5 or 6 lakh crores uh, then uh, i don't know some yeah some some fancy number like that and then they had also talked about uh, you know government spending in the in the budget as well so so in fact i think uh, infrastructure and and government capex and private sector capex i think it's been a story which is sort of uh, been the, i mean it, at, at least the 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 signs of it have been there uh, i think it's it's sort of early it's yet early days for that sort of uh, theme and sector to sort of play out uh, but i think the underpinnings of it are there and uh, i mean there are different ways to play it uh, are, are you playing it in, in, in any way? Yeah, that's what so I mentioned, right? Like there are some players who are either directly uh, in the infrastructure space or in segments uh, which are ancillary to 
you know the infrastructure or housing sort of sector yeah understood so so it's something that could that could play both the uh, infrastructure and the uh, the housing boom uh, sort of together yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so for example i mean just to give you an, for, just to give you an instance like for example if infrastructure and housing does well then cement companies are likely to be a beneficiary of it uh, you know if housing does well then a lot of the you know the ancillary home players like electric you know electrical cables electric wiring then even like the the tile manufacturers you know uh, a lot of the faucet manufacturers i mean so those sort of ancillary industries tend to do well so you know like that i mean you can play this theme in many ways absolutely uh and um, just just for me to get a sense uh, two questions about this one you know i've i've heard um, you speak about the the core uh, portfolio of long term growth companies and the tactical bets portfolio forming your uh, your flagship product uh, is it the same when it comes to picking uh, small and mid caps Yeah, so small and mid caps. I think it's uh, it's more actually the long term growth. Uh, we don't look at tactical opportunities there. Uh, that is much. That's sort of a much longer term sort of a outlook that we have. Uh, because uh, for these companies to sort of create wealth, I think uh, uh, I think it, you, you sort of have to own them for a period of time for them to sort of meaningfully uh, be valuable for you. makes sense makes sense and and how do you look at um, allocation within your portfolio what's the minimum allocation you would give to to any stock and what's the maximum allocation that you would give to any stock i think max would be 10% and minimum would be 7% at least in the mid cap small cap portfolio 7% for the for the minimum yeah so it's a highly concentrated portfolio then yeah i think uh, so i mean it's so so i think uh, you have a portfolio of about 14 to 15 stocks uh, and i think that beyond 15 to 16 stocks i think the the point of diversification also sort of plateaus out so i think the diversification is optimal and it's obviously high conviction because sort of you're you're, you're looking at sort of um, companies of that caliber so uh, i think a high conviction portfolio sort of makes sense over there cool i have i have two last questions and then then we'll we'll take questions from the audience um my my first question is um do you have any sort of uh, sectoral caps on the weightage that you would assign companies um so like 25% max for pharma or 25% max in total uh that's the first one and um, and the second question is around um, um you know looking for um, uh, for downside protection when small and mid caps are not doing well for example 2018 to 2019 um, i i don't know if your your mid and small case product has existed that long but i'm sure like you'd you'd have the perspective since you've been in the market for so long so in periods like that what would you do would you change your portfolio for uh, capital protection in any way right so i'll i'll take the uh, first question i think uh, which was around uh, uh, sorry i can you please repeat the first one yeah um, so so the first question um, uh, was was around uh, uh, sectoral caps uh, sectoral caps yeah yeah so so yeah so so this is a more bottom up sort of port, uh, portfolio 
Um, so, I mean, sectoral caps usually, I mean, given that it's a reasonably sort of concentrated portfolio, you know, no, like no one sector sort of contributes more than uh, 15 to 18 percent at any given point in time because uh, different stocks sort of represent different sectors. So, uh, and uh, I mean, we don't have an explicit cap, but, but in practice, it doesn't sort of go beyond that. Uh, and the approach is much more bottom up for this than top down. Um, and in terms of the second question, that if uh, sort of things go wrong, then what will we do with the small and mid cap portfolio? So I think uh, again, so the the thing with uh, the thing with small and mid caps is that until and unless like something uh, really untoward doesn't happen in the markets, where like there's a complete global externality or you know it's like extremely overheated or you know we think that you know uh, something can go fundamentally wrong like like it's, it's unlikely that we'll sort of have or we'll sort of allocate a portion of the portfolio to liquid etfs or cash but in cases where like you know where it's very clear that there is something that can sort of distort the portfolio then at that point you know as a risk mitigation mechanism we could look at some liquid etfs just to uh, you know question the volatility that that might happen on account of that but but given like by its nature, because this is a portfolio that sort of you know looks at companies to compound, I think uh, you know we, we sort of choose to remain more fully allocated. Uh, Weber, one last question for you: How do you assess management, and how how does how does uh, one assess management? Say if he or she is a retail investor and hasn't got access to either meeting the management and. Maybe, maybe even if maybe like a small cap cap company that doesn't even do con calls, uh, how does a retail assessment? Uh, how does a retail investor assess the management in that case? So I think uh, you have to look at some financial ratios. Like, uh, so so one 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 thing would be like ROE. So you have to see like is the return on equity, you know, upwards of fourteen or fifteen percent, because that that sort of is an indication of the efficiency of the company's management. Uh, then you should see that, um, you know, do they have like sort of too much uh, un, uh, what do you call that? Un, unsecured loans, you know, that maybe some of the, you know, companies sort of promoter group may have parked in the company. Um, then you can also look at, for example, like companies, like revenue might be increasing, but receivables are also increasing and those receivables are not translating into uh, you know, sort of cash flow. So at that point, it could be that maybe the companies, you know, uh, maybe may like accounting or sort of uh, overstating revenue. Uh, then, I mean, I think you can also go to the value picker forum. I think uh, you have some great sort of threads there in terms of, you know, what on different companies, some investors might have some views. So I think uh, these are some of the ways in which you can sort of look at things. Got it. Thank you. Go ahead, Krishna. Yeah, I, we we have our first speaker. Uh, uh, I think I think he dropped out. Um, we also have one question in the DM, so I'll I'll give you that one first. Um, what are the spaces right now where? Uh, what are the sectors right now where you're seeing most value uh, in in small and mid caps? Uh, so in terms of sector, I would think I think. Uh, I think some of the, you know, capital market companies are, I think they're free cash flow machines. I mean, and, and there's a long, 
you know long runway for growth ahead of them uh, so that's definitely one low hanging fruit um then you know as i mentioned i think we are coming out of three big cycles in banking real estate and uh, infrastructure so you know that could be sort of one big sort of area to look at uh and the other ones you know would would probably be like in 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 uh in the it space so you know like a select sort of set of it names could could also be very interesting so yeah cool thanks um uh next we have sindhi uh, chokro but before that guys please dm me your questions uh if i don't have a request and a dm i can't pull you up go ahead sindhi hey hi krishna hi everyone thanks for the opportunity uh, oh yeah, hi, hi. 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 Yeah. Uh, okay so i know there isn't any instrument available uh to hedge uh, particularly mid cap and uh, small cap portfolios <coughs> especially with the volatility they have uh so i mean do you have any other way where we can you know at least protect the downside uh, when it comes to such volatile portfolios like nifty is in, uh, like these guys are introducing nifty mid cap uh, index or oh, derivatives on nifty mid cap uh, select index so your thoughts on it? right so i think uh, see like if you if you look at the small case portfolios these are sort of uh, long only sort of long term portfolios right so uh, i think in 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 that sort of context i mean if you have your own prop book or something like that or or you know another vehicle where you can sort of use instruments i think that might be easier but specifically in the in the context of you know small case portfolios uh, it, it i mean the i think the only available tool at that point is that uh, you know i mean the, like you have to have a part of the portfolio in sort of liquid etfs uh, or maybe you know have some sort of very low volatility sort of bellwether large cap stocks um i think uh, because at that point usually if you see uh, even even in our even in a downturn i mean even if you take the recent example of 2020 um if you have decent names in your portfolio and and they correct sharply they are usually also the first ones to bounce back uh, and and to sell at you know at that time when when they are correcting and uh, you know all of that usually uh, i mean until and unless like you are caught in a complete down cycle and you know it 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 usually if you look if you if you sort of take a hindsight view then uh, it's usually not a good good time to sort of sell them so i think it's not such a straightforward sort of a problem i think you have to look at it in the context and then take a call uh, okay if i can add this now i can have one small question sure sure go ahead uh, so uh, okay so you want to understand that uh, me even like this now are pretty young like we we started our investing journey since uh, past 5 to 6 years and uh, unfortunately missed that uh, i i very wisely choose the word unfortunately because we haven't properly seen the bear markets in uh, small cap and mid caps uh, but there are <clears throat> you know there are more horror stories to these uh, segments so do you think that having a or having a portfolio that supports a uh, normal large caps and semi large caps with mid and small caps in a longer run 
enhances the returns like what has your experience been if i have to say so, because there are there are these lot of uh, you know ghost stories especially for small caps and mid caps the way it went in 2000 uh the intent the dot com bubble as they say and even in 2000 and 2000 and the way it bursted in 2007 and 2008 right so i think the 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 fund structure that you're referring to is more like of a multi cap sort of a structure where there is an allocation to large caps mid caps and small caps it sort of has a you know good sort of mix of uh, all the three sort of uh, segments so Uh, I mean, I think uh, in again, like like the point-to-point comparison. If you take like the the drawdown might be much lower in them. Yeah, my question was when we invest in a particular small cap, and uh, on the basis of some triggers, but some of the thesis does not play out. So, like, right. what till what time do we wait? As there is always an opportunity cost for the same. I mean. you know it's it's really uh, i mean i'll i'll give you an example okay now 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 you take india's greatest investor okay mr junjunwala right now he had invested in titan uh, uh he invested in titan when you know for 3 years the stock traded flat right but but after that i mean you've seen i mean like it i mean today it's made him i mean it's one of the reasons why he's considered one of india's greatest investors right so so uh i mean there's no there's no right and wrong answer to to sort of your question it's it's really relative it really depends on your persona uh but in in our specific case because we are managing public money obviously uh you know there is a there is a certain threshold i mean so every every quarter or so we do evaluate all our positions to see how they're performing or you know is is you know is there a chance of you know capital loss or you know something like that so we do keep evaluating it and if and if there is something which is substantially better than what we are holding then we may replace it but again it's a very context specific decision i mean uh, that you have to take okay thank you thank you got it a uh, webavard i have a quick question how do you look at the cash component of your portfolio like uh, do you have a certain allocation to cash no we we, we don't have any cash component and in the multiplier portfolio as of now all right all right thank you um so we're having a bit of trouble pulling the the guy the next person up uh in the meantime we have we have a uh uh two questions uh one was about uh, you know uh, you you've mentioned uh, uh, snowball as as one of the uh you know books that has had a a large uh, meaningful influence um on your investing journey so if you had to in a, in a in a snowball fashion uh describe uh, one or two of your biggest wins uh, how would you how would you do that uh, i mean would you do that for us uh so so i think uh, you know like like one is snowball like obviously highlights uh, you know um, warren buffett sort of uh, successes but it also highlights i think his uh, like like some of like it 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 sort of gives you the context behind all the decisions and i think uh, you know to get the context behind all the major decisions of probably one of the world's greatest investors i think that's a very rare sort of a i mean it's it's it's, it's sort of very rare because i mean he himself is sort of speaking through it as well so Uh, i think it's a i mean it's 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 sort of a freely available sort of wisdom handbook for anybody 
Um, I think specifically coming to my wins, I think um, so. So again, I think like one of the stocks that we had talked about earlier, uh, which is Dixon. So for me, that was a company that sort of done very well. Um, and I think uh, more recently, uh, I'd invested in a company called Angel Broking. I think uh, some of you might be aware of it. So I think they've they, for example, have transitioned from a complete. Uh, you know, traditional broker to a completely sort of online digital DIY sort of a platform. And I think uh, that's where they've sort of done very well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are a few other stories as well, but I think these two sort of uh, would be, uh, I guess, good things to highlight. Can you talk a little bit about your mindset and your process going into these two investments? I think again, Dixon was sort of one company where uh, you know it, it just seemed like one of those companies where again, like the opportunity size in electronics manufacturing was uh, you know was sort of uh, quite large, and I think in uh, I mean it was available at sort of reasonable valuations um, in 2020. So at that time, I mean both the opportunity size and the valuation sort of played out in my favor. Uh, and I think for angel broking, I think, um, I mean, because like I'm in the capital market space, it's it's a space that uh, I look at closely. I mean, it, it it's, uh, I mean, you know, we could see sort of angel broking uh, sort of growing exponentially. So I think given their track record in doing that, uh, we invested early on and then we sort of reaped the benefits of that. Cool. Sire, you had one? Yeah. Nice web of... Uh... Uh, lovely hearing about your wins. Uh, uh, had a contrary question. Had a question about some mistakes. And you'd mentioned in the beginning how back in 2007-8, not holding Nestle was kind of a mistake, etc. Uh, could you, uh, I guess, walk us through like a couple of your mistakes and how you do things differently now? Yeah, so I think... Uh... I mean, there were periods, I think, when uh, when I might have invested. I mean, I think some of the mistakes have been made, like, behaviorally when, you know, I sort of, you know, came into the context that, you know, anything, like, like when there's a bull cycle, I think, you know, you you tend to think that it'll go on for, for a long time. And then when reality strikes, it sort of comes crashing down. So, I think, you know, being aware of the context in which you're investing, I think, and sort of being mindful of that will, uh, will I think, help you take more rational decisions. So I think that's... In terms of companies, I think uh, one of the companies that, uh, I guess, didn't do very well. I mean, I, I, I thought it might do well. Um, was uh, this one. There's a company called Financial Technologies. Uh, I'm not, I mean, they were the original promoters of the commodities exchange and all of that. So, I mean, that company, I mean, had a complete sort of nightmare in terms of corporate governance and, you know, all of that. Like, while while the businesses they had set up were phenomenal, but uh, they were the promoters of MCX and some of the other exchanges. And, and they, in fact, sort of, uh, I mean, the promoter did really badly and all of that. So, I think uh, some of those signals were there early on, but, you know, I got carried away by the opportunity the business side so I think that was one mistake that I had sort of made so I think 
very mindful about quality of promoters and because in India that can especially make or break a company. So I think it's important to be mindful of that. Thank you. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Krishna, who do we have next? So we've uh, got Bengal and hello? then after that we've got Mayank. Yeah, hi. Can I speak? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Bengal, this is more related to your application that is Tezi Mandi app, right? Yeah, I think I'm a was, subscriber to it. That was sort of a little bit from my side. I, uh, yeah, I am a, a, a subscriber to it. Have, so more uh, only one problem I... Yeah, I have a... a, a Small question, like, one problem that I face is, say, suppose I uh, subscribe to an app and then I go off, so you have a six-month period. Then I took a break for two months. Then again, I subscribe to the app. I get a series of uh, companies where which I should buy, but it shows only the current prices and not the prices that you recommended while you recommended it at the first go. Say, you recommended it at say hundred rupees. When I joined that app, I said I see that it is one twenty. I don't know which price, which is the best price that you recommended that uh, particular stock for. So I only see one twenty, which is the current price. So there, I think you know, slight uh, uh, showing your base price where you first recommended it would be helpful for the helpful for the subscribers. Sorry, I think uh, I think I had some trouble connecting. Uh, could you maybe please reframe your question? Yeah, we 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 weren't able to hear you clearly. I think um, also the it's not super relevant to this discussion. So if you want, you can you can actually DM your question to Weber, um or or to the Teji Mandi handle, and I think they will be able to address it more appropriately. Yeah. So then you can. I think Maya wanted to go next. Yeah. Uh, but there's some glitch. Wait, I've added him again. Uh, Mayank, uh, yeah, go ahead. Vaibhav, I just had one query in my mind that going ahead in the medium term. Which, uh, you know, where do you see the tailwinds coming in, in the mid and the small cap sectors, you know? Thanks. Uh, so, as I said, I think uh, one is the capital markets. I think there's a large opportunity ahead. Uh, second is, uh, I think, in the housing, uh, you know, housing sector and, uh, you know, in the infra and ancillary space and, and any of the ancillaries to infra and housing. Um, and I think uh, third would sort of be banking. So I think these are three large sectors. And then if you want to play something which is a little more bellwether, then I think IT services looks like could be very interesting. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Thanks. Uh, Vaibhav, because you said banking, do you think India's inclusion into the global bond index do you think th that could be a tailwind of some sorts uh i mean so so i think what that will do is that uh, i mean the you know the fpi flows are very important uh, you know as far as the 
balance of payments and forex reserves are there so if, if india's forex reserves are strong uh, then that will uh, save the rupee from depreciating so it means that the rupee will be more stable so uh in that sense i think if if you have like a if you have strong forex reserves um and if you have like foreign inflows into india then uh, uh and 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 you know like it it also means that indian companies are able to raise uh, capital uh, at at you know very competitive rates globally so so i think uh, i mean it could be uh, positive at many different levels got it got it thank you thank you Cool. We've we've got one last question from the audience, which is about uh, um, AI advisors and robo advisors, and and how do you feel like uh, that trend is going to grow out, uh, play out in India? You said robo advisors and which which other sort of form of advice? Uh, robo advisors and, and AI advisors. Oh, AI advisors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I you know I I don't think that machines can completely re- replace human beings. Uh, I mean, I think uh, if you really want to create wealth, um, especially in capital markets in India, in a big way, I think uh, it's going to be man and machine, uh, and, and and machines can sort of help you uh, improve your decision making or in sort of making it more efficient. Uh, uh, but but I think complete machines, then I think that sort of then goes in the realm of you know algorithmic trading or derivative trading, and uh, so forth. I mean, you know, over there where it's a game of sort of Nanoseconds and milliseconds. I think there, you know, machines will obviously outdo human beings. But in sort of long-term investing, where you know it's it's a it's a very different ball game. Then I think uh, it'll be a game more of man and machine. Any resources you want that people should look into? Yeah. So I think uh, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, I think India is sort of coming out of uh, you know down cycle and 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 going into a sort of a structural up cycle for three to four years to come and. Or many more years to come, and uh, in fact, in in such a thing, mid, mid and small caps actually tend to do really well. Um, and I think our multiplier portfolios are well primed to sort of take advantage of that. Um, so people should definitely consider investing in mid and small caps. Uh, I think you will sort of not be disappointed. Uh, obviously, with with some filters, um, and yeah, I think there are a lot of you now blogs and resources online which I think you can search. uh through google and stuff so that's how i would look at it oh uh, thanks webber thanks for sharing um so i guess we're going to end the session now thank you so much for such a wide array of insights especially about the small caps and mid caps that are here in our country uh also about other different things and also thank you for answering the audience questions uh yeah. thank you so much for hosting me Yep. No worries. No worries, uh, guys. Please check out uh, the Tiki Mundi app and please check out Webber's small case. Uh, it'll be on one of the pinned tweets that we have on our uh, either or you can check out either Webber's profile or either you can check out Krishna or my profiles. Um, there'll be a link to a small case there. Um, and Webber is your Tiki Mundi app available on Play Store as well as uh, App Store. Yeah, it is. Okay, got it. Um, yeah. Another thank you, thank you for doing this. Uh, really enjoyed this, and looking forward to hope. Uh, looking forward to hosting you again, Krishna. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a great discussion. There was a lot of knowledge packed into into one hour, 
and uh, and really really looking forward to interacting more with you web of both online and offline yeah thank you so much for having me and uh, great great discussing all these things with you